Welcome to episode 11 of Expanding Beyond. Um, this is our first episode after the <laughs> presidential election in the US. And I guess today things have finally calmed down a bit so we can do our recording. At least yes. that's our excuse, right? That's our excuse. We are expanding inwards given the lockdown instead of beyond. But, you know. That is true. Here in Germany, the month of November is a partial lockdown. So you can't go anywhere for touristic uh, purposes and um, bars and restaurants are all closed again and stuff like that. So, I mean, my kids are still going to school um, when they're not on holiday. So not so much of a difference for me. But yeah, yeah. we don't have curfew. That's, That's something true. that it's happening in other countries. So I'm not sure how easy that would even be to do legally in Germany. Exactly. I, I, well, that's the. I don't think it's legal anywhere in the Western <laughs> world. So it's kind of like, but yeah. So let's see what happens in the next yeah. few months. <laughs> yeah, let's see that it helps. I mean, the the idea behind that was that you could uh, have Christmas with family. Yeah. Let's see if that works. Let's see. Finger crossed. That's yeah. my. That's the 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 small shred of hope I'm holding on to. Mm -hmm, exactly. But just in case, I'm I'm just you know decorating my house with as many fairy lights as I can, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> just in case you have to celebrate with those instead of people. It, yes. Um, <laughs> So I already checked in the basement. I have plenty of decorations this year. The tree is going to be out. So it's it's going to be at least cozy. Mm, as cozy as that. I can make it. Yes. Yeah. And with a lot of cookies, I guess. Yes. Uh, let's see how long the tree lasts with the cat. Because this cat is not like my former cat. So my guess is that the tree is not going to last very long. <laughs> <laughs> let's see. I'll tell you in a couple of episodes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, we so yeah. this this week is is our school holidays here in Bavaria and we wanted to go somewhere in the woods in some nope. in the middle of nowhere, but nope, that doesn't work, so we just had to stay home. Which wasn't the ideal plan, but then I was I had a cold anyway, so I guess it was better that mm. way. Silver lining. <laughs> yeah. So we didn't have to go because in this situation, we could get our money back. Otherwise, we would have just had yeah. to go. <laughs> so I guess, I guess it's fine. And we've been, we've also been baking a lot with the kids and doing some uh, stuff with paper and everything. So okay. yeah. the universe is in balance then, mm. at least in your bubble <laughs> sort of yeah let's see we also have um we bought cement so we can do stuff out of that let's see mm -hmm. how that goes <laughs> <laughs> okay what do we talk about today so nothing from my side these two last weeks because i was a sick and be on holiday so yeah maybe we start out we start out with with the feedback you got mm -hmm. basically so I got a message uh, from a friend and a colleague. Uh, he's a mobile developer. And uh, to answer my question, I was like, how easy it is to test 
things on mobile. What he what he wrote me is that um, writing tests on uh, on the client can be easier if you have many small classes, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is, um, I'm sorry, it's kind of obvious. Um, I'm saying it very, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, of course, the smaller the real estate of the class, the easier it is to test. But the hard part is that it's impossible to write unit tests on uh, on the code that interacts with the UI uh, or anything really that has a dependency on the SDK. And that made me think, first of all, again, yes, makes sense. Um, made me think about Rails, especially uh, because of how Active Record uh, is. When you test, unit-wise on, on Rails and you still hit the database, is that really unit test? <laughs> Depends on how you define that unit, right? Yeah. I, I mean, sometimes it is if, if you move stuff into the database, like some constraints or triggers or views or whatever, then mm-hmm. maybe yes. Yes, that's that's what I... That's in a way what I like about the concept of service objects um, and how we apply that at uh, at Freeletics. So what we do is really active record is used as little as possible to do anything around uh, business logic beside mm-hmm. maybe a couple of scopes uh, or some um, transformation from the what's on the database to what the application logic is about a specific attribute on that model. But otherwise, the the constraints are usually uh, in the database itself. So the, the model really becomes only as much as possible just an ORM and that's it. And all the business logic instead is on this uh, service object. Then you can test as you want, uh, right? As long as the object that you are passing uh, in the in the in, to the in, to the constructor or as a parameter is a Ruby object, anything goes. But I mean, on the on, I'm I'm I don't know much about mobile, but I guess sort of the browser goes into the same direction. There you can. There you can also do a similar thing where you have those components or things that actually represent or what the UI looks like. And then you have the thing underneath neath that handles the state yeah. and stuff like that. If you uh, separate those out, those two, for example, in the React world, the big thing was Redux, which is basically the mm. state transformation uh, framework. And that is really, really nice then because you can really write really great unit tests for, for at least, least those actions that are happening. And then you can see how the state is transformed and that is already a big, big thing. And then at least partially you can also test then these stateless React components that then represent that data to the user because you don't have to go through various big setups where you say, yes, first this button needs to be gets get clicked because then the internal state of that component is like that and then I can do that and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So that simplifies it a lot already. 
but it's true you can't you can never do it completely because sometimes doing that is just performance wise not possible yeah and you have to keep some internal state in the react component to to make it performant maybe but it's still it's still better than than not testing it at all and just you, of course i mean even on the rail side there's there's holes you're going to have right um if you have some external api at some point you have to stop testing there yes. right so that you can never have the whole thing tested yeah there was also this one comment i was reading some time ago <clears throat> really some time ago no this is not like the other day um that was advocating for not really testing validations because in the end what you test is that the framework works and that in theory should already be tested by the framework itself in its code base therefore why are you testing also for that i mean i still like to have some basic test around that because you still want to make sure it's there right yeah you want to test to fail if the validation has been deleted right exactly so... but it's like just one minimal test to ensure that there's some kind of error but yeah yeah that's what i what what we usually do uh we have this very basic test so it's like okay if i pass all the elements that this model should be uh, encompassing with the right values. Is it valid? Yes. Nothing particularly fancy, but with the right parameters, the model should be valid. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so that was the feedback. Um, I'm still, I'm still not comfortable enough with uh, like I I really don't know. Uh, anything about testing on, on mobile. So that is going to be my next endeavor because uh, I've been trying to learn a little bit about mobile development mm -hmm. and I don't know where to start from. So uh, the other day I was thinking, hmm, maybe I should start with the thing that I like the most. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to build an application, but maybe if I learn how you test something like that, that could work. So I'll keep you all posted about my discovery. Mm. Yeah, that that's that works for me also a lot of times where I just explore an application by writing missing tests, basically. Yeah. And um, from my side, what happened since the last episode? Uh, so there's a, been a few uh, a few things. Um, one is that I, I let's call it pair managing. I started pair managing with a mm -hmm. with a colleague, so. Um, we are still trying to figure out how that might work. Um, what we what we told each other is that it could be beneficial for the both of us to learn a little bit more about what the other is uh, is doing in their capacity as engineering manager. So we are inviting each other to um, specific meetings uh, from the other team uh, just to attend and take a look, get inspiration, uh, or ask questions. Um, the, the interesting part, I think, is that we both recognize that neither of us is, um, 
very similar to the other. Uh, mm-hmm. So <laughs> we we have very different approaches uh, and philosophies. Uh, beside, I think the common ground of uh, being servant leaders, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, that's it. Yeah, but that sounds like a perfect setup for that, right? Exactly. So uh, this is where I think it's going to be uh, very, very interesting. And uh, the other thing is that uh, to scratch my technical itch. Uh, so the first, we have a budget for personal development, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Each one of us in the company. So the first half of it, I used to uh, purchase this course. It's called uh, Decision by Design um, by the guys at, uh, well, by the folks at uh, Farnham Street. If you have never heard about Farnham Street, do nope. a favor to yourself and even even just the free content is amazingly good. After I think like two or three uh, newsletters, I was like, okay, shut up and take my money. So now I'm a paying uh, subscriber, uh, paying member of the community because seriously, it's just so good. Uh, and uh, yeah, this is a course that they do on top. So you have to pay uh, on the side. And it revolves around what what are the patterns what are the things that you should uh that you should think about when you wanna uh hone your decision skills so that's for the soft skills part um mm-hmm. for the hard skills part uh those are very very outdated terms so bear with me uh for the technical <laughs> skills let's call it this way uh i i am attending at the moment uh qconf plus it's a virtual conference um, so it's an online conference that uh, is organized by um, the folks at um, InnoCube and uh, it spans three weeks, three days a week for mm-hmm. like four to five hours. And it's an agnostic conference. It's not really focused on any technique uh, or any technology in particular. And it spans really many, many topics from uh, the connection between hardware and software to um, diversity and inclusion uh, to organizational setup uh, to um, architecture at scale, um, the the border between DevOps, SysOp, and, uh, and software development. So it's very well-rounded and it's very difficult not to find something that is going to be interesting. Um, so yeah, uh, now we are past, I think, week two. So next week is going to be week three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, out of those talks, um, in the first week, there were a couple that were seriously mind-blowing. Um, one was uh, from uh, by an engineer at Netflix. <laughs> and the other one was by an engineer at Uber. Mm-hmm. What I realized is that when I'm thinking about things at scale, I think that I'm thinking at scale. I'm not. Like the the size of those applications, the, the size of the user base of of those services is sometimes like inconceivable. Mm. Um, and that is what uh, struck me in particular about the talk on Uber and localization. They were talking about localizing. And the detail of that localization is, is, 
it's amazing <laughs> in the sense of like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm speechless because I don't know which term to use. It's like all their, what they were saying is that, first of all, as a software engineer at Uber, they do not expect that you are able to hold in your brain the whole architecture of the application. Mm-hmm. It's just impossible because it's too many services, too much of a code base. So what they do is they expect you to know your service and a few ancillary service up to a certain amount. But after that, so what they're doing, for example, for testing, going back to that, they built a testing pipeline where each team builds, writes their own components that then they can, uh, you as a team member, you can, from another team, you can pick and hook into your test so that you know what to, it's a black box. You know what to mm-hmm. expect from that component. So you want to, I don't know, uh, the driver gets into the car and accept the request. That's the test. It's like, that's the setup. You don't need to know anything else. That test passes, gives back certain values, and you merge that into something that is your test. And your component, your test is going to be used by other tests in this Lego block kind of uh, idea. Okay. To some extent, I think it's similar to the concept of examples in our spec. You know, that that kind of like behaves like maybe, let's say. I mean, this is this is a completely different scale, of course. So that's that that was one of the things. So. Coming from here, not only the code base is immense, so you cannot know everything, but the code, the code base, it also depends on so many factors locally. When we think about, you know, localization, sometimes we think about, oh, how do I localize for a certain language, but in or for a certain audience? But for them, it's even more complicated because they have to uh, to have they have to localize for a certain um, uh, system of laws and mm-hmm. they have to localize for um, where the service is taking place because they cannot afford too much latency, for example. They cannot afford, um, I don't know, to go against certain specific details of some law. They have to be responsive to uh, to requests uh, from uh, from the local authorities and stuff like that. So it's also a localization not only of the interface, let's say, but of the whole structure. Um, <laughs> oh my. Yeah, it's like fractals. <laughs> so that was one uh, that was particularly interesting to me. Because um, one of the things that we encountered, uh, so we, we have a pretty complex localization uh, process in our case, because not only our app is translated into nine languages, but localization goes much further than that. Uh, you can translate, but still not localize. And we hit that kind of wall when we built our um, nutrition app mm-hmm. because our MVP came from a German uh, mindset, from a German company, from a, cert- like a-, a certain kind of habits, Western German uh, kind of thing. So I remember <laughs> some friends of mine writing me, on a message and on on uh, on my phone, I was like, 
what what the frog is quark like where do i find it <laughs> and i was like hmm, sorry you're not gonna find it <laughs> that's true yeah anything made from milk is yeah is not possible to turn yes yeah that never never works yeah we've yeah we noticed that as well when we moved to france or when you look at recipes from other countries it's just There might be something similar, but it's never the same. Yeah. For example, if you think about it, maybe you can substitute quark with, I don't know, fresh cheese. So the, mm. the, the spreadable fresh cheese, kind of like Philadelphia, that kind of stuff. But it doesn't have the same tang to it. Uh, yeah. Nutrition-wise, it can be similar to ricotta, but ricotta is sweet. So it's even <laughs> more different. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, there are these little mm -hmm. things or or how do you even measure stuff right yeah or do you use cups do you use spoons do you use avocados have you stuff? ever yeah. tried buying avocados in romania no i've never tried buying anything in romania yeah so <laughs> like there are these things and one of our biggest user base is in south america so mm -hmm. imagine trying to transport literally that's what translates means by the way in latin the origin of the word means to bring something from one place to another so mm -hmm. um to bring this these recipes into brazil mm -hmm. that's the yeah. usual thing that you think about localizing but here is like you know the meme of the expanding mind yeah <laughs> <laughs> so there was that it was pretty pretty interesting to me another uh, talk that I really liked was um, the one from Netflix I was saying uh, where they uh, the lady there was explaining to us how they um, test their code in production it's like boo <laughs> <laughs> because apparently when your application is so big You can't really test properly anywhere else. Um, mm -hmm. When you want to test against, I don't know, uh, the especially the load uh, or it's like what's going to happen when it really hits, you know, reality. Um, <laughs> what do you do? Do you do a one-to-one -one copy of your database? It's not going to work out. Yeah, I mean, even, even in small setups that just doesn't work out because yes even if you had the same database you would also have to have the same load exactly the same behavior to appear and that's just super hard to do yeah you never know what's gonna happen out there and especially how users are gonna behave uh it's a recognized uh fact of life i would say that users will do with your app things that you have never thought about <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah so what they do um they have this uh they improve like the, yeah they, let's say that they improved on the concept of um canary and so they have um they take like 95 of their traffic in production and that goes to production then the rest this other five percent they split into um um experiment so the the test per se and control Mm -hmm. And these are also production machines, but with the code that you want to test. 
And at first they were like, they had one option in which it, that's just regular canary. So randomly assigning users here and there, and each user can one time be into the control, one time be in production, the next request can go to uh, the um, test. Oh. So, oh. That doesn't that, sound like a good idea. <laughs> I mean, it works to some extent, yeah. but that's... If you, if you have enough users, I guess, it might be natural. Yeah, but I mean. especially for Netflix, with the concept of life cycle um, team that they have, what they care about is the whole life cycle of uh, your user on a specific mm -hmm. part of the application. So they were like, okay, how do we test that the life cycle that we want Uh, on production is working as expected. So fundamentally what they do when the user hits the load balancer, they stick a header onto this user that is uh, it's salted in a certain way, blah, 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 so that it, they can recognize which user this user is. And every request then is, um, every request gets the same header over and over from the same user so that it gets always to the same environment. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of like what A-B test tools do, but this is something that they do themselves. Fundamentally, what they have a whole infrastructure that they build themselves, because remember the um, cow's monkey uh, mm -hmm. talk yeah. they gave back then? Well, that tool evolved into this. So you mm -hmm. can pick the kind of test that you want to have on your application. Do you want a regular canary? Do you want a sticky canary? Do you want a cow's monkey? And there they can test with actual numbers. Like these these are substantial amount of users that go uh, about. So that's what they do. All right. So when whenever Netflix is having issues, we can assume they're doing tests on us. Yes. So the, <laughs> there was there there was kind of like that kind of question like how do you um how how do you expect your users to to react to those? I mean, I assume that this also means that I don't know, users are writing to customer support. They are trying to get out of the current error situation. I mean, have you tried to turn it off and on again? You know, kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's very likely that they are testing on us. <laughs> you know, the gray little man from the sky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the last talk that was um, extremely, it made me happy. Let's put it this way. It was this one talk by uh, Gene Kim, the author of, among many others, um, The Phoenix Project, uh, part of Accelerate. He also wrote that. Mm -hmm. And his talk was... Uh, It was called uh, My Love Letter to Closure. Mm -hmm. It's actually a blog post that he wrote some time ago, uh, but he was asked to uh, make it happen as a, as a talk and, and give it around. The reason why it makes me happy, it made me happy, is that Jin is a lovable person. Like he is the enthusiasm of what he says. And it's not only... Like, this is cool shit. What comes out of his words is the deep love for the craft. And he's not a software developer by trade. He is, in his own word, uh, words, he is a, um, he always considers himself uh, as a kind of like an ops person. Mm -hmm. 
the fact that closure made him love programming so much it's um it it really seeps out of every single word that he's saying about closure and again some things are coming from the ruby world i, I was keep I, I kept comparing what he was saying with what Ruby uh, and and the whole ecosystem gives you as a as a developer. But um, what he was what he was saying was like, this is exactly the reason why I love this language because uh, it it's a sharp tool that though helps you think in a certain way because the whole community thinks in a certain way. So mm -hmm. you have small tests, you have small classes, the, the, the framework really, the framework and the language, especially the language really sends you towards a certain path. And the one thing that he named about closure that made him again, love closure so much was, um, is the REPL. So the, the read evaluate uh, print loop, because when we when we, when we're talking about uh, testing when we're talking about um a b tests uh, in in the in in a company context what you want is feedback as feedback as soon as possible because that is what is going to make you take the next decision in an informed way and the REPL does exactly that for you as a developer let me hook this little bit of code here What's happening? Yeah, and I mean closure in in because because it's basically coming from this Lisp history. Mm. That, that's of course an in, integral part because for many of those uh, Lisps, I mean depending on which one you're talking about, you don't even have proper uh, representation as text files. A yeah. bit like Smalltalk, it is just you start the thing up and then it's back in the state it was before, right? And you can exactly. always can interact with with the live application in a way, which is, it took me a long time to understand how that's even working coming from, <laughs> from, from the, from the world of where you think about code being in some kind of text files and stuff like that. Yeah. Yes. So someday I'm also going to take a look at, at small talk among other things. <laughs> <laughs> Life is infinite, right? Um, yes. So there was that and there, it made me think, and I'm, I should seriously apologize to Jin because uh, I kept I kept comparing Ruby, but not only in my head. I was writing in in the chat there, and I was like, "Oh, this is also what Ruby does. This is also he's also a Ruby guy, so mm -hmm. he likes Ruby." By the way, and uh, but yeah, so that that's what made me think about uh, Pry and how important Pry was at at some point because. Um, Yes, Ruby comes with IRB out of the box. That's our REPL. The point is that Pry at that point in time made my text editor works as if I had back my uh, breakpoints that I had and loved so long ago in Visual Studio and that okay. I was really, really missing. Because what do you do? Uh, Either you run your tests over and over again in the hope of having a different result. You insert print statements here yes. and there, right? <laughs> that's that's how I started and that's how I still do it. <laughs> well, Aaron Patterson has a very good uh, blog post on how to use print statements to debug and you can do crazy stuff. Like seriously, it's a very powerful tool. But again, for most of us, the point is 
my object is not in the right state. <laughs> That's it. That is wrong on so many levels but nevertheless yeah exactly <laughs> right? i was going to say i mean maybe that's the problem and not yes. the missing breakpoints but yeah so <laughs> the and pry at that point in time because erb wasn't giving you that possibility was was helping us like okay block the execution here what can i do what's the state of my object but i mean that's one thing the the real thing why I really like pry in combination with so this kind of the REPL pry itself and um, uh, at that point in time also and and then Ruby is that if you combine the three the fact that Ruby is interpreted and you can reopen classes you can redefine methods then with the current state of the application you can then play around with your code and it's like. I don't need to change the test and execute them again and wait again. So the test cycle, if you think like the development cycle is even shorter than your very fast test suit already. Hmm. So you have a test suit that on your machine maybe runs in like two minutes. You don't need to wait even for those two minutes. You can just play around with your code and try to figure out what's wrong and how to fix it on the fly. Yeah, I don't work that way, but okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that's how I work. <laughs> I mean, in theory, that that's that's something that I I am using in very specific cases. Like my my test doesn't work, and I cannot really figure out what's happening. It's like my my brain is not really helping me here, so. Let me just look under the hood and see what's happening when when the machine is running. Yeah, I instead then just run that single test, and that's of course much faster than those two minutes. Yeah, I'm, I'm I was thinking about the whole the I I also don't do that. Like I run the whole test suit once I'm done with my changes. So usually I run the specific test that I want to that I want to for the function for the functionality that I want to that I want to change or or create, and once that is passed, then I run it again over the whole application. So, but here we are seriously talking about like seconds. So. Mm. But yeah. So, conclusion of this talk. First of all, Jim Kim is adorable. So, <laughs> <laughs> One more reason to read all of his books. Uh, second, uh, now I know what to what to learn during Advent of Code. Closure. Exactly. <laughs> this year is going to be closure. <laughs> yeah, I need to get back to it. I I looked into it a while ago. I never. There, there used was it. this this weekend workshop at some point some years ago in Munich that was a lot of fun, but yeah, then I didn't really use it for much. Well, that's that's always the hard part with new languages that you don't use at work. It's like you learn them uh, in the sense of like, yeah, I'm reading this sentence. It's in English. I don't understand it. <laughs> it's like, yes, the grammar is correct. The language, the words, I recognize them. Yes. <laughs> What's the meaning of it? And for that, yeah, yeah. that's where in probably then contributing to open source, for example, uh, can can become handy. Yeah, yeah. You of course have to have. You need to write a certain amount of code to yeah. to actually get into into a language and understand 
what it's for and how it's useful to you. And then hopefully you can either use it at work or you can at least um, get something out of it that you can yeah. then use. I, I've always found that you don't necessarily need to directly use that language or that library uh, at work to get some benefit in the end out of it. It's sometimes surprising what what helps you some months or years down yeah. the road. And there, again, circling back all the way to the beginning, the concept of pure Ruby objects in your web applications, that's where they come in handy because you input some things into this service object, the service object does its things, and then it spews out a certain result. So if you are disciplined enough not to change the state while the execution, uh, during the execution, then you get something that it's function-like, and then you have the benefit of not having to uh, regret sending that code in production. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And then you have languages like Clojure or Elm that basically enforce this and then yeah. they don't even allow you to do it, to mess it up, I guess. Yeah, there it's like with type systems, uh, with with time safe, uh, type safeties. Uh, so do you give away that control to the language uh, or do you keep that control and you risk hurting yourself a lot? <laughs> Hello, yeah. PHP. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why we write so many tests in Ruby, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, you have to make up for uh, for the shortcoming. I'm air quoting here of the of the language. Yeah, I'm air quoting. <laughs> Saying it twice just to make sure. Just to make sure <laughs> we don't get any misunderstanding where my <laughs> preference is leaning. <laughs> All right, great. I guess that that's it for today. Hopefully for next time, I'll, I have some interesting bits to share, or mm -hmm. we could maybe even pick one of our long, long list of yes. topics that we thought about doing and then never really did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're not, we have a long list, so I'm not scared. <laughs> yeah. We're going to run out of things no, to say. No, certainly not. All right. So where can people find you on the internet? People can find me a little bit back again on Twitter at mm -hmm. KF Molly with an I. Um, on Dev2, again, not very often posting there, but slash Nirnaeth, you're going to find me there. Uh, GitHub, same handle, Nirnaeth, and uh, in the blog that is in my head. All right, and you can find me on Twitter as UJH, also not very often and on github using the same handle and yeah maybe someday i will actually write something on my blog i don't know and of course you can find us uh, on expandingbeyond.it and you, you can write us emails at hosts at expandingbeyond.it right thanks everyone for listening uh i'm sure you had a lot of fun monica i certainly did and talk to you next time bye bye thank you for listening to my ramblings bye <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.